Hello, guys. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the Blockhash Podcast, episode 259. Today, we have the CEO of Brick and Ed, Edwin Mata on the show today to talk to us more about what they're doing at Bricken. Edwin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, man? Ah, pretty good. Thank you, Brandon, for inviting me to the show to speak a little bit about Bricken and obviously blockchain. It's an interesting space, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we do, before we jump into it and start talking about what it is you guys are doing at Bricken, tell me a bit more about yourself. What's your story been like? How'd you get into the space? Uh, what did you do before? Give people a little bit of detail. Yes, of course. So basically, I started my journey. Uh, uh, actually, as an MA lawyer. Um, now you see me wearing a polo. Mm -hmm. I used to be wearing a suit 24-7. And I was doing some restructuring of companies. So as I started understanding how the corporate world started working. And then we had a client who was in the digital world. They did a electronic signature provider. And he offered me, hey, do you want to come here be the head of legal? I enter. Uh, I started managing the R&D department, innovation. Um, just, I don't know how I ended up there, just in the company itself. And then afterwards, uh, we engaged with blockchain 2016. We wanted to see how we can incorporate the blockchain technology, the, the certification mode to see if we can embed it into contracts or we can upload contracts into blockchain to be more transparent. And that's where actually I met my um, one of my co-founders. And we were talking about like, hey, we like the space. What can we build here? And then we met uh, another co-founder and we started talking about the tokenization space, co-proprietary, crowdfunding, the new ways that we can engage with the retail investor. And one idea led to the other one. And two years later, here we are. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah. What was the transition like for you, at, you know, being a lawyer previously going from wearing a suit to wearing, you know, a polo and whatever you want, that's got to be a different lifestyle change. Completely different lifestyle. I mean, even when I started the startup, I mean, they were in a digital world, very like uh, Barcelona is big into startup tech world. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not Silicon Valley, but they have nothing to envy. There's a lot of potential here. So just the fact that one day I didn't have to wear a suit for me when I had a dress of conduct with the law firm that I, was working and then said like hey, you can come in t-shirt i was like what like okay i'm gonna start wearing a t-shirt and it's like now i have i think my my suits uh, i have in dust i haven't worn them in years so but it's not just the suit wise the mentality wise you know kind of like mm -hmm. legality it's very like closed environment i'm very like uh prohibited and when you're like in startup it's super lean and then you enter blockchain and it's like dude everything is possible and i'm like is it really and once you enter the space, like, maybe it is, everything is possible, you know? It's like the change of mentality also, also affects everything. Yeah, I, I like the change of mentality in the space because I was originally going to become a doctor. Um, so I was heavily oh. involved into uh, in pre-med, going into the medical field. And that's a different world compared to being in crypto, blockchain, Web3. So the mentality shift is very different. Plus, I, I like being able to wear whatever I want every single day. That, that's, a, that's a huge Completely. perk. Completely. <laughs> um, so tell me more about Bricken. What is the mission for Bricken? What do you guys want to accomplish? What are you guys doing? So, I mean, we're now leaving our, our first pivot. The same first because when you're a company, you're always looking for that like monetization level. We started in the business in the real estate just because three co-founders, we wanted to like do a flip on a, on a, on a flat. We saw an opportunity. We, we asked for a loan to the bank. 
we were freelance, two of us were freelancers, we got rejected. No matter what was the income or if it was good or bad, it was just like, especially here in Spain and other countries, it's like, if you're an employee, you can pay your your, your loans or your debt, right? And it's like, dude, not necessarily, you can be a freelancer and make more, but stability is not like, it's weird, right? So we started thinking about tokenizing a flats for our own, and then we started looking for a provider. We saw like it was super complicated to get into the tokenization space. It was, uh, I mean, the idea, the idea was there, but just not how the user experience should be and how lean it should be for somebody to be onboarded into blockchain, especially now tokenization. So we saw an opportunity there. And basically we started trying to tokenize real estate. And as soon as we entered the space, we started understanding other hassles, other opportunity, other pains. And now we're focusing on transforming the equity of companies into tokens, just to, because it's more maneuverable, especially since I have the background of M&A and everything regarding shares is super bureaucratic, super slow. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of contracts. And now tokens come and it's just in one click. You can do whatever you want, you know, like transaction. It's already more lean and free. So now we're specializing in tokenizing companies. Nice. When you guys onboard a company, what kind of things are they able to do? Is it mostly focused around tokenization or is there a more broader product suite? It's a more broader product suite because tokenization for us just became like an add-on or a possibility. What we're trying to do um, is bring the company, transform the equity into shares, into tokens, sorry and then give them the management solution for them to manage that company that is now Web3, right? So you have a cap table, which is token holders. You have token holders who can now engage in votes. You get distribution of phones from your races. So you can create scroll accounts. You can create milestones inside a company. You can create all this diversity now that it's everything automatic. So I strongly believe that companies that become tokens, it's not that they just become more lean, they just optimize themselves in their own management flow. So that's what we're triggering. And tokenization is like a race of capital. There's always a company or a startup or a project that will always require, or maybe will require a race of capital, but by also transforming everything into token, we allow them to engage with other web free players. So now you can enter in DeFi protocols because the share has a value, so maybe you can collateralize. Or maybe you can put it as a loan somewhere. Or there's a lot of possibilities that we're still trying to digest as to, okay, now that we transform into tokens, what is possible for them? So we're learning with them as to, okay, now we can pivot here, we can go here, or we can create a bridge into this new opportunity for them. Got it. Um, in terms of the actual companies, what's the ideal client for you guys and who have you seen um, onboarded, um, more or less. So we have two very specific clients. One in the web three world is once they have a token, they understand that STOs tokenizing their shares is already making sense, right? Because companies that have tokens, they still have the possibility of fundraise to their shares. And many do. I mean, we have examples out there like Solana did, Polygon did. So the big blockchains is not that they have a token, they still have a share. And it's where the embedded value is, so they will still go and pursue those big PC. So for us to engage with a Web3 company that has a token, it's very lean our sales funnel because they already know that we are an enabler of what they're already doing. So we're transforming shares into tokens and they perform an STO. That's like the best client. And then we can go into like a digital product. They don't have a token, but they do have a digital product because what we're trying to also do is uh, 
provide utility to the shared value, right? So we we know we're in the utility space and we've learned that utility is always what moves the token and everybody wants to engage, it's an enabler or whatever, but shares are very static. So if we transform into token, why don't we embed all these qualities that are already there? Kind of like pursue a utility into the share. So if you have a digital product, you can say now you have a discount, I don't know, let's say it's a delivery house. Oh, okay, the next three deliveries is free per month just because you have a nest, you have a token representing my shares. So we with always with this digital connection, you can create that ported value, discounts, access to to private memberships, to whatever, right? So for us, the optimal is a web free company who has utility or a digital product that it's most mar it's marketing themselves as a B2C because you have all this clientele of database, which you can transform into now shareholding, which is tokens. So it's easier, right? Because you can transform a client into an investor and an investor into a client. So it's a win-win situation for them. Which use case do you think is most common or that is most, they have most interest in? Would it be something like membership? Would it be something like shareholding, like you mentioned? What, what are you guys seeing as most in demand? Yeah. So there was a thing in, in the tokenization space when you mentioned tokenizing, they usually come with, oh, you're tokenizing real estate, which is like what's the most notable um, use case, which is like, okay, I'm a building, I transform it, everybody owns part of the building and whatnot, right? So it was like the first main use case and it embedded. And now we're saying that, hey, there's other possibilities like the shareholding or future profits and everything. And in the end, I mean, it's just passive income, no? I used to be engaged in conversations where we talk about STO and they were like, but you're promising just like a 10% interest per year. That's very low. And I was like, I mean, back in the day, like five, 10 years ago, you used to have one or two or three on your profile. That was a good portfolio. But with all the madness of crypto just booming, everybody was like, yeah, but I can make in crypto space like 40%. Now the big crash happened and it's now putting us into perspective, kind of like, those allocations that we're saying are more secure because they're backed by an asset. They had a better, they had a low return maybe, but they haven't dropped 60% or 70 or 80 or like Luna 99, 99%. So this is kind of like, we just providing kind of like diversification. So it's a steady portfolio. You can have like shares in NASDAQ, you can have tokens in the crypto world. And now you can have STOs. So it's kind of like we're just adding value to a healthy portfolio that people should have. Got it. Um, on your website, under products, you kind of break it down into two specific things, uh, C apps and, and D apps or caps and daps or however it's pronounced. Can yeah. you explain the difference between the two and what those encompass? Yeah, the, the cap is for very specific uh, client needs where we run a private blockchain. Just because they're like tiptoeing into the decentralized space, but they don't want to go into a full on Ethereum or Polygon just because it's like my information is going to be out there. I mean, it's not ignorance, it's just fear in the sense, but it's fine. I mean, we're still in the early stages. And the DAB is for those people who really want to go into the full decentralized mode, issue their token into a native blockchain, call it Ethereum. Uh, we're bridging to other ones. We're testing Stellar, we're having conversations with Algorand because multi chain is the future. So in that sense, uh, the cap is for a specific client that we I would like to call more corporatized, more institutionalized, that they see that with a private blockchain, the risks are more protected, but it's more of a state of mind. 
And the top is basically for everyone else. It's like, dude, I want my MetaMask, I want my wallet, I own my keys, I own my own ecosystem. I don't need your blockchain that is private. I want to play with the full ecosystem that is built behind blockchain. So it's just for client tests, and we we like to abort those because it's a different use case. I think one area where people still kind of get confused is the difference between a public blockchain and a private blockchain. Can you kind of explain a little bit what a private blockchain is and why it's important, what maybe some of those benefits are? Yeah, I mean, uh, private blockchain doesn't, it's still a decentralized database, which is accessible or the transaction are viewable by third parties, but the nodes are limited to certain parts. And obviously the structure itself is not, not it could be built in nodes, but it's usually like an AWS infrastructure or a sure where you build your own blockchain, right? So that's the allocation. There's still a centralized authority or point of failure behind that blockchain. So when you go public, this is the diversification, obviously Bitcoin or Ethereum, which is the one running the biggest smart contract schemes. It's that the nodes and the database are all distributed. So there's not a single point of failure. If a node falls, then you have all those other nodes with the same information at the same time. Private blockchains, there's a central authority governing the private blockchain and stating how it's going to be used, who can enter, why and what not. So, I mean, it's just a game that we've been playing as companies where one database or one provider is owning all the data and all the game. Why there's benefits or benefits. I mean, it's just a matter of how we look into it, right? People will say like, I'd rather trust Brickens blockchain because they manage it and they own and they whatever, or I want to own, I don't want anybody to own my data. I want it to be diversified across all nodes in the blockchain. So they, I don't see, uh, I see more benefit in the decentralization, change it out a lot, right? Because I do have a private blockchain, but it's it's just a matter of security, compliance, especially when you're talking with banks or big real estate firms and everything, compliance levels are like, but my data is gonna be out there and the transactions everybody's gonna be seen. And I don't want that level of information out there to be public. So private blockchain cures that. And for the rest who don't care, they're like, okay, I'll go for the public one and that's fine. You don't no longer own my data. My data is mine. My financing scheme is mine. I'm a self-governing company now running a blockchain scheme. Yeah. So internally, like intercompany, having a private blockchain is probably more beneficial to retain confidential information, IP, uh, intercompany communications, maybe things along those lines. Yeah. I mean, there's always a danger with so much publicity, right? So, for example, you have a wallet. You can always track and backtrack every single transaction that that wallet has done. I mean, that could be done dangerous. I, I mean, I don't provide right now my my bank account and show everybody mm -hmm. what is my allocation. But if you give me your wallet, I can enter and see like, oh, this guy owns three bit. Uh, well, obviously, if it's in another chain, let's say 100 Ethereum, 50 Chainlink, and all these ERC20. So I have a lot of information from you um, and then I can probably see like, oh, he transacted with Binance, there's a hot wallet transaction here or there. So, I mean, it's just a, a matter of how private or how public you want to be, right? Got it. What What's next for Bricken? What do you guys want to accomplish by the end of the year going into next year? Do you guys have a roadmap of things you want to do? Yeah, so we have a very detailed map because our cap is fully functional, so the centralized mm -hmm. one. And everything we learned from, from that uh, ecosystem, we broke it down into smaller parts, and that's how we decentralize ourselves. And we're now alpha testing. We want to do the beta testing Q4. 
and do a real deployment of the product uh, with all everything that we have learned when you test because obviously products that are very new and native, you cannot deploy and say, I am going to board 50 clients and then every the 50 clients prices. You always have to be a little bit uh, resilient and compare that there's errors or bugs that you're going to have to clean. So for us, the next couple of months, it's all about learning how scalable it is, where do we need more coding, new functionalities that we we call in. So our first official launch has to be like January. That's like when we decentralize application and everybody can use our tech without necessarily talking with us because that's the DAF. Right now we're closing that ecosystem and if they want to use our DAF, we do our due diligence. We explain them the situation of the technology, the pros and cons, because it's very early and young and we onboard them as an alpha tester with their conditions. But for us now in January has to be like, you want the tech, here it is create your login, create your user, don't speak to me, all my fees are embedded in the smart contract. So now you can issue your own tokenization and embed your company on the Web3 environment. So that for us is going to be transcendent as a company. Got it. You guys have a token too, right? Yes, we do. The VKN. What's the main function of the token? Is it to represent the company or does it have another utility value? What we're doing with that utility, it's uh, we all the fees that have to be paid in the in our platform in the DAP have to be paid with BKM, and there's third-party providers uh, providing oh, sorry for the redundancy providing services to the token tokenized companies. So those services in the ecosystem that we have built, they have to be paid in BKM. Then we obviously now we, with this experience of the alpha tester and the beta tester, we're analyzing if. Obviously, the issuance of the STO is not in DKN, it's in the native company, it's in the native token of the company. But the issuer may request that, hey, if you bring me BKN, you have a discount. Or if you have the BKN, you can use it as a stake mechanism, or you can collateralize against the STO. So we're building a utility as we go. And obviously, for me or personally as a lawyer, um, my 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 like vision of the BKN, it has to be a governance token. Because I'm pursuing that we're going to use our tech, we're going to use our own know-how, and we're going to transform BRICN slowly into a DAO for many decisions. And obviously, the BKN is going to be the voting tool and mechanism to keep track as to what everything we're doing with our own protocol of tokenization. That's interesting. What's the inspiration to transform BRICN into a DAO? Is it just to kind of join the trends, or was there another reason? No, I... I, I it's 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 all about skin in the game. So you want to have like this. Um, you hear this community, right? So all the blockchain projects they have communities. If not, they don't have a blockchain project, and 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 that's a big failure, right? So the more you engage with this community, and the more they can get decision making, the more the movement of the token comes. But obviously, there's certain decisions that majority wise can be taken at a better rate than slow wise. There's expertise in the in the company that we can nurture and say like, okay, if we were here, we will do this, our expertise of this and this. But if you want to do, for example, a, a burning mechanism, that affects the whole holder. So if I do it, I'm not different from a centralized application where I go burn my own token and I have my burning mechanism or I have my minting mechanism or I have my staking mechanism because then that will be a lie. If you want to play the decentralized game, you have to make sure that your own community are able to engage in all of these factors. We already testing both impulse with our community supplying them with little things just because we want to analyze the mechanics as to why people will vote away, why would they do another one, what do we need, how do they do, how do they react. 
because we're getting ready. Like my hope is that 2023, I can decentralize a bunch of the governance of the token related to the coding, the upgrade to the community, because then it's a, it's a true decentralization and that's something we believe in Cybri. Got it. Well, that sounds like a really actually cool idea. I wonder if I could turn my podcast into a DAO. I, I feel like <laughs> you can turn anything help. into a DAO these days. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a DAO for everything. I mean, it became like a bus world, but mm -hmm. it also create an enabler, right? So behind every bus, there's true. You're not gonna like, okay, Bitcoin, yeah, big bus. Everyone has to be rich. Oh, Bitcoin became the first blockchain out there and everything started building on top of the know-how of blockchain. So DAO's biggest bus world, maybe in 2022, maybe 2023, we start seeing some real products and some real building behind this centralized autonomous organization. This is actually, a, I have a good question now um, because since your background is as a lawyer, um, on the topic of companies turning into DAOs, is there any legal benefit or issue potentially with doing that? Um, I know a lot of people, for example, for context, will form an LLC for uh, certain liability protections, which is totally legal to do. Um, but I feel like they could do the same in some aspects, maybe with a DAO, maybe add in some anonymity. Um, but in, it maybe that's partially illegal at some point because they're getting away with too much. But I don't know, maybe if that gets integrated into like the US, uh, into the, the system, and then I don't know, maybe that becomes another viable business structure at some point. Everyone just starts setting up DAOs instead of LLCs. Have you thought about it from the perspective of a lawyer and maybe his business structure overall? Yes. No, I have. I mean, I find it super interesting. And for me, DAOs are, besides the whole decentralization factor and the whole community behind a DAO, for me, is the climax of optimizing management of a company. So they created DAO just because companies themselves we're too uh, slow in decision taking. You have a shareholder meetings that happen maybe twice a year. And then this old management structure is the one keeping all the information. So the DAO itself, the movement started complaining about the company, but they missed a couple of steps. You create companies, like you said, LLC, that's limited liability company. Because me as a shareholder, I don't want to be responsible for my personal assets. Something DAOs are failing because they're like, we're not going to build a company. We don't care about company. We're company less. But then, like you said, we have these founders of DAOs with like, okay, guys, we're going to create a DAO, but us, we're going to engage with a decentralized automation through an LLC because I don't want my assets to be touched. But they don't provide this information to the DAO believer, right? Then, so then if they have a lawsuit, what happened actually in Florida, well, like the, the sewer sue all the holders of the DAO. And it's like, that's this is not going to go for just what they put because they didn't put that wall of limited liability. They're going to go against all his assets because they can. They invested as a natural person with everything they had, even though they invested one euro because this is how the law works. So I do see like DAOs being the optimization, like climax of how companies should work. There's still a lot of learning how to do it. And I see that company laws and, and everything, they're going to become more lean. They're going to be accepting more like digital transactions, digital this, because everything we're learning from, from every ecosystem, no? So mm -hmm. I think doubts are a guidance for how companies should act, react, and all of that. But I think doubts should learn that companies are created or incorporated for a specific reason. So 
it's now about blending both worlds into some hybrid mechanism. Wyoming tried to do it. It's Wyoming's law is basically a, a very lean company. Other countries are saying they're doing it, but everybody's just like trying to see how the space of the companies of the future are going to be created because you also have the Web3 factor, right? And they're not just companies providing services, they're companies investing, they're companies uh, voting, there's companies donating. So it's like one ecosystem is a company with multiple arms. So it's becoming complex for regulators to understand the field. Yeah, I think this is a good topic to wrap up on, a really good thought. Um, and I, I definitely agree. I think, you know, there's going to be a way to set um, limited liability into DAOs at some point. I think it'll be common for a business structure. It just makes a lot of sense. And I think the trend's heading that way anyways. And the system's old. It's got to it's gotta update at some point, right? Um, yeah. So w to wrap things up, where can people go to learn more about Bricken? Yeah, thanks for that. So basically, uh, we'd go for Bricken.com, obviously, in the website. But we have a very strong community in Telegram and especially in Discord. So if they got, they want to learn more, uh, us founders, we engage in AMAs, we have conversations, we should both. So we want to educate through content. So we're in the tokenization space. So we always invite people that if they want to learn more about what the future of tokenization is, then jump in our channels where they can find more information or directly ask one of us. It's like, hey, what do you see in this? Then we get in conversation, create AMAs and the community for us. It's obviously an incentive for what we do. Where can people go to follow you if they want to keep up with your opinions and maybe get connected? Yeah, so I'm big in LinkedIn. I'm still trying to get into that Twitter space <laughs> with all this noise and everything. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, I mean, just Google Edwin Mata on my LinkedIn. I tend to put a lot of thoughts there. And now I'm moving to the Twitter space because it's more like amplified. LinkedIn is very still corporate, but there's still a lot of us still working in LinkedIn. But yeah, I mean, my Twitter is at E-D-W-M-A-T-A. So I'm working on that and putting more threads on how I see the ecosystem. Awesome. Guys, go check out Edwin. Go check out Bricken. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe to the video below. Um, go check out what they're doing. Go to the website. Go to the Discord. Go to the Telegram. Join the communities. Edwin, thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. Really appreciate it. Good episode. Really went in depth on a couple topics. Uh, had a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Brandon. And thank you to everyone who will listen. All right. Have a good time. Uh, have a good week and talk soon.